Hey guys, welcome to The Real Shit with Brit and Wit. This is Whitney. And this is Brittany. And this is the podcast that's here to make you feel normal in your everyday life. Okay, Wit, I'm super excited about today. On our episode, we've got our really good friend Danny on as our guest. And we're going to get a little heavier this time, a little deeper. Um, we are going to talk about Danny. Well, we're grateful that Danny is is, what's the word, strong and brave enough to share yeah. her her husband's incredible journey um, through addiction and kind of her, her story and her journey as the wife going through it. And then um, we're just going to talk about all the things. And so Danny, uh, let's say hello to all of our listeners. And we're so grateful that you're here with us today. Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this amazing podcast. I'm so excited to make everybody aware of everything that's been going on. Okay, so we have to talk about really fast how we met Danny and how we know her. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay, wait. So, what we went to the holiday co girls. We did yep. an episode, whenever that was, back around the holidays, and they had this really awesome event for women. Um, and we were there, and this cute lady was standing behind us when they were doing all their giveaways, and and I just started chatting with her, and that is Danny, and like here we are. And, and I think I happened to be like, oh, did you ever listen to the podcast that the Holiday Co-Girls were on? And she's like, uh, yeah, I did. I love podcasts. And I'm like, yeah, so that was us. And she's like, no way. And then we just became BFFs ever since. So It was um, a love story. It was a love story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> love at first sight. So yeah, Danny, really thank you for being on with us today. I think you're going to really help so many people on a topic that Wit and I just cannot touch on ourselves because um, although I've been through a marriage with addiction, it was a very different scenario. And uh, I think there's so many people that struggle with this and it's kind of like the silent thing that no one speaks of, especially here in Utah where we live. Yes, and especially so you, in Utah. Very courageous and thank you. So I think let's go back. Um, tell tell Wit and I and start off just kind of how this all even started and went down. So it's crazy because when I look back and I think where it all started, it's literally as simple as the stresses of being newly married, stresses of buying a house. And we did kind of have a rough first year. Like we had five really close deaths between grandpas, aunts, best friends, all within the first year of us being married. We had, you know, obviously we got married, we bought a house, we changed a job and I got pregnant. And so it was, it was a really hard first year. Um, but now when I look back, I think that really it started with just the stresses of starting a life with someone. I think everybody goes through it. So I think making awareness for people, like, first off, I want to say this right out of the bat. Therapy is huge, you guys. <laughs> it's so important. And if you can get help in that way, then everything else will kind of follow. And so I think, I think that's why I wanted to do this. I was so excited that you guys asked me to come on because everybody goes through a transition period in their life and everybody have stresses and anxieties and they don't always know how to take care of it because unfortunately depression totally taboo right something that nobody likes to talk about for some reason it's so 
people feel like it's a weakness. Um, and same with therapy. And it's so sad that, that you have to feel afraid to ask for help. Like, I just, I hate that. And now we're at a point now after nine years where we're like, heck no, like I'll freaking ask for help. I ask for help on a daily basis and I'm not afraid to anymore. So that's where it all started. We really do live in a society nowadays where like you're saying, it's like nobody wants to allow anyone else to know that we are imperfect in any way. And so when we are the moms at home or the women struggling with insecurities or depression or, you know, just feeling so inadequate in the world, like all these things, right. But we're, but we're putting out there to the world through social media and everything that like, we are almost this perfected being and we do all these things and we have it all together. And sometimes we really don't. Right. And it's almost like a shameful thing to talk about um, your struggles because like you said, people were afraid people see it as a weakness in us. For yeah, sure. well, I exactly. Love, I love that therapy really is huge and I'm glad that you guys, you're putting that out there because it, it's nothing to be ashamed of. No, so, no, absolutely. You're saying in the beginning, right? Um, all these yeah. transitions. So take us from there. So it started with, you know, just, I mean, of course we realized like, okay, we've been through a lot. It's totally fine. If we feel this way right now, like we'll get through it. It's not a big deal. And then we had a baby <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like I honestly, I literally felt like someone like ripped the freaking rug right out from under my feet, threw me for a loop. My whole life flipped upside down for the first, like really like two months. And I was so lost. I had never First off, I had heard the word anxiety. I had heard the word depression. I'd heard the word panic attacks. I never like truly even knew what those were. It's kind of like acid reflux. <laughs> you know what I mean? You hear it, but you don't know what it is till you have it. So, yeah. and that's kind of what it was for me. And I, like the first few weeks of having a baby, I kept having panic attacks and thought they were like asthma attacks. I would go to the hospital and they're like, dude, just chill. Like, you're fine. Take a deep breath. <laughs> and my husband would have the same thing. And I didn't, I couldn't recognize what that was. I didn't know what that was. So all I knew was he was acting distant. He was acting angry. What did I do wrong? Why is he not at me? And I didn't realize it had nothing to do with me. Um, so as a new wife and a new mom, I took it extremely personal, extremely personal. And you know, I think it was a start to a really bad trend in my life for thinking bad about myself. I think that's kind of where it all started because I was a very confident person before. But um, so, yeah, I think it all started with, you know, just the basic stresses in life and, and all that. And so when it got to the point where I finally was like, uh-uh, like I, what the crap is going on? I don't, I can't handle this anymore. Um, well, it's I, so kinda... too. I don't want to cut you off, but I feel no, like, you're good. so you, what you said something that just stood out to me of being distant, right. Yeah. And you kind of mm-hmm. noticed that. And I think, I think so many women notice, um, or men, right. Who, whatever spouse is going through it, you can tell when they are distant. Yeah. Right. You and can, sure, for sure. 
You really can. And that's one of the hardest things I think that kind of come with that is, and I love that you're saying you took that on and you kind of took that personal because I feel like I'm a, I'm a woman who, you know, I've been through a couple marriages now and I take on everything of like, it must be me. You must not yeah. be happy with me. You must not, you know, like your life. It, I must not be enough. And it's like, sometimes I mean, even now I still struggle with that, right? Like it's so hard to separate yourself and be like, no, they're going through something. Like that was just a side note that I loved. It it just related with me. And uh, I don't know, wait, like, do you ever feel like that, that you just kind of take things personal? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think that's very common in any relationship when something's not going right on someone's end or they're stressed or whatever. It's, I think it's very common for the other partner to be like, Oh, it, it's about me. Yeah. So easily, especially, especially for us women, I think too. Yeah. Cause I, I've definitely That's what I was going to say, especially for women. Well. well, I don't even, I just don't, I just didn't want to like even brush over that because I think it's something that like listeners probably feel so heavily out there. And like, yeah. and like you said, having that new baby and being in that <clears> phase, <throat> it really is such a hard, just a hard new way of life. It's such an amazing new way of yeah. life. But like, I feel like people always feel bad talking about the hard times in motherhood and being a new mom and all the stresses it brings on everybody because then it's like, oh, you're, you're, you're not grateful. Like, you know, but no, we yeah. are, but it just comes with so many stressors. So oh, anyway, for yeah. sure. And I, I kind of feel like too, like, at least for me, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like I'm the one who went through the pregnancy. <laughs> I'm the one that gets up with the baby the most. I'm the one that feeds it. I'm the one that does this and that. And I, for me, it was hard for me to see the stresses that he was feeling and why he was even stressed. I'm like, you get to sleep and then wake up, go to work, be away from all this, and then come home and eat dinner and go to bed. Like, what are you stressed over? Yeah. yeah. And problem, so I, bro? I couldn't, I could not like even think about, I, I couldn't even grasp the concept that he was stressed for having a baby. I'm like, dude, I'm doing, I'm, a, I'm the mom. Like all the things. But yeah. now I realize <laughs> I'm like, could you imagine like the financial, the stress of having not just to financially provide for yourself or for your wife, but then also a child and wanting to give them the best life and making sure that you have enough money for all that. Now I understand that. But then I was like, what are you freaking out over? You know what I mean? <laughs> so so tell um, us, Danny, what was kind of your day to day? Like, so he was just a little bit distant. Like, what are some of the things that you noticed? Do you feel like it, um, you know, to where you're just like, I can't do this anymore. Like what kind of things were your daily life? If you don't mind. So no, absolutely. So it kind of, well, not kind of, it totally started with just being distant and I would be at home with my baby and we would just not really talk much during the day, which is really weird for us. Cause I want to tell you, we have been best friends since freaking junior high. Okay. Oh. And we didn't even start dating until our senior year of high school. So for us to not talk 24 seven was so weird for me. Like it like didn't even make sense to me. Like why, why don't you want to talk to me right now? And because we would literally be on the phone constantly, even when we weren't dating, like, and not because he was controlling or I was controlling. We just enjoyed being on the phone, texting each other something all the time. So when he started to get distant and we weren't texting all the time, I felt like, you know, he didn't like me or, Oh, 
it's probably because I gained like a million and a half pounds from having a baby. He must not be attracted to me anymore. Um, you know what I mean? Your body changes so much that of course you're feeling like that's the reason why, especially with your first yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. So and, when you would ask him, what would he say? I mean, just someone being through a marriage with addiction. I think that's why I'm asking the questions and yeah. seeing the different, you know, the comparisons because it's such a real thing that you notice. So his childhood, like they, they did not communicate like ever, like, oh, you have a problem. Let's try and brush it under the rug before things get awkward is that kind of a thing. So when we had a problem, I had noticed him start to do that. And I'm, and I grew up completely opposite. Like we had a problem. My parents sat me down there. Like we're talking it through. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, we're talking it through right here, right now. And we would talk it out, be fine, whatever. So I was that type of person. I'm like, Ooh, no, you're going to be distant. Let's talk about it right now. And he didn't want to talk about it. So it became, he would push me more away. I, that's doesn't sound right, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He yeah. would push harder and become more distant. He would go on drives. He would leave, you know, all the time. And then of course my mind, I'm like, he's cheating on he's me. Cheating, he, went for, he went for a drive. He's got to be cheating. Natural <laughs> and, reaction. I think <laughs> dude, sometimes I was crazy. Sometimes I'd follow him. <laughs> no, Cause girl. I was so convinced. And I'm like, he's over like in a parking lot, just chilling. I'm like, a girl's going to pull up, watch. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy one here. That's not crazy to me. That's like very valid. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay, well, that helps me then. Very valid. Him he would, he would totally just push me away. He wouldn't answer my questions. He wouldn't, he wouldn't want to talk about it. And I think that was huge for me. Like Because for me, like I said, I'm very vocal. I don't stop talking. You'll see that through the podcast. I don't stop talking. And I totally was a communicator and I, and I feel like I, at that time of my life, I knew how to communicate in a healthy way and he wasn't communicating with me at all. And so it really, really affected myself thinking like, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. So, um, through, you know, I mean, this had gone on for a few months. I can't remember specifically how long, but it was for a while. And I, I kind of got to the actually no it had been about a year let's be real it was about a year and um, well, I asked that question too because I feel like through like experiences I've been through like mm-hmm. different addictions so it's like a whole different thing but um I I feel like anytime I would say you know you, you just almost know like your instincts like I know something's going on I know something's off yeah and you can uh, feel it. You can feel you it. You can feel it. But then they're always like, no, no, no. Or like, you're crazy. You're, I'm fine. Yeah. They put it on you. So that's why I asked that. And so, yeah, my yeah. next question was going to be how long did that go? So about a year. So it was about a year of, you know, the distance and I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, dude, you're not fine. I know you're not fine. And I can feel it and I can see it. And, and he wasn't just being distant with me who's being distant you know with everybody including our family um and even our daughter I felt like he's being a little bit distant with her and I worked so hard to mask her from that because I didn't I wanted to protect him I didn't want her to think bad of him you know I knew that it would pass and I didn't want her to hate him one day and so it was really important for me and honestly 
I did, wasn't just masking her. I masked it from everybody. One of the things that, one of the things that I feel like I did that, well, our therapist says, don't say should have, that should be out of my dictionary, which is so hard for me. But I feel like I should have been more vocal with the people around us because when he was pushing away from them, obviously I choose him. So I'm there with him. If he didn't want to go to my parents' house, I wouldn't go to my parents' house. And so we, he pushed everyone away, which made me push everyone away. And I didn't tell anybody what was going on. You know, I knew he didn't want me to, I didn't want him to feel embarrassed. And I wanted to protect him because I knew that if I told someone, Hey, like, this is how he treated me today. They'd be like, Oh my gosh, what a jerk. You know what I mean? And I knew that like everybody has issues like that. I wasn't aware that my issues were a lot worse than a regular marriage. I felt like that was, just, that must've been normal, you know, but it, it went on for about a year. And I finally said like, you know, we had had, it was a pretty big blowout. And I was like, I'm done. I fought so hard to not say that so many times because I was never raised that way. My parents never said divorce. They never said that they were done. They fought, of course, who doesn't, but they never gave up. And they never even like leaned towards, you know, like maybe this isn't going to work out. Never. I never even knew that that was like an option. But in his, you know, as a child, he grew up with every time they fought, oh, we should just get divorced or you leave, you, you know, that kind of stuff. So I just didn't know what to expect. I really didn't want, like after that first year of marriage, I was like, gosh, maybe this is just how marriages are now. I mean, people are so different than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Maybe this is just how marriages are now. So I worked really hard to not say that, but I got to the point where I realized I hated myself. Like I could, I can honestly tell you like everything about me, I hated. And I, and I knew that it stemmed from everything that was going on with him. And, and I don't want to blame it on him. I was young and stupid. I didn't even know what like not being confident was. So when he was not, you know, 100% in the marriage, I took it personal and I should have known or gotten help myself to know that it wasn't my fault. But I finally told him, you know, you need to get help whether you go see a therapist, whether you go see a doctor. And I had kind of told my parents a little bit here and there after a big blowout, my parents came out and talked to me and stuff. And so I told them a little bit about what was going on. And they were like, it sounds like he may have a chemical imbalance. Maybe he should go see a doctor. Um, You know, maybe it could be fixed with something as easy as an antidepressant, like, I think that's what he needs. So I told him, like, that's what you need to go do. Whether you see a doctor or a therapist, you need to go get help. Like, you have got to go get help. Give, like, an ultimatum at that point where you were like, it's either this or I'm gone? Or how does that work? I told him, I I mean, I didn't say, like, this is what you need to do or I'm leaving. I just told him, like, I'm just telling you, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Like, I can't. Like, I don't. I don't, I don't even know who I am anymore. I'm not happy. You're not happy. And there's only so much fighting I can do for something when they're not even like participating in that at all. I was fighting for something and for someone who I, and honestly at that time felt like he didn't want anything to do with me. And I was like, 
I, it's not worth fighting for anymore. Like I need to, I need to feel wanted and needed too. And you're not, you're not giving that to me at all. And yeah. So, and I look back now and I know that it, it wasn't that I know that he loved me. I know he needed me. He needed me more than ever. But I think again, it's such a hard thing for men to say like, Oh, I need help. Like, Oh, yeah. If you did a tally of how many times women say I need help versus men, like it's, you know. Well, especially when they grow up not talking about things and sweeping everything under the rug. And you know what I mean? Especially when that's kind of how they grow up. It's even yeah. more of a thing where they don't know. So then tell us where did we go from? Where did you go from here? What did he decide to do? How did he react to that? So it took a couple weeks, but he... um finally went and saw a doctor and she had recommended him to go see a therapist. So she, this therapist, actually, I think it was a guy. Um, he went and saw this guy. Oh, I don't know, three or four times. And I like saw a difference. I was like, he would come home and say, yeah, I learned that the reason I'm this way is because I was raised this way and stuff like that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's amazing that you can see that it's not your fault that that's what you were raised with. So you didn't know any different. I think that's awesome. Like, yep. You're making improvements. And then all of a sudden he's like, ah, oh, therapy is so hard to do when I'm working. I just don't want to go anymore. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, this needs to be a priority. And it, it was a pretty big, like, no, I'm not, I'm not going. And um, so I had mentioned like marriage counseling and he was like, uh-uh, not doing that. And I'm like, okay. And so I said, well, then you need to go figure out like what's going on. Like whether they do like a full blood workup, maybe you have an imbalance of some sort. I didn't really know anything about how they tell a chemical imbalance. I didn't know anything, anything like I, <laughs> I took Tylenol and Advil and that was like the extent <laughs> of medications I knew about, you know what I mean? And yeah. um, so he went to the doctor and they were like, Hey, you know what? It's totally okay to feel this way. It's normal. Let's get you on an antidepressant. So this is where things get sketchy and like listeners freaking turn up your volume because this is where things get real. So they tried him on like, I think five different, maybe four different antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. They were not benzodiazepines at the time. They were just like, you know, antidepressants. And well, here, let's touch on that for just a brief okay. sec, because I hear that it's so difficult to really find something that works for you. Um, the only time I've ever tried an antidepressant is after my, my last divorce. And all I really know about it is that... <sighs> It like took me out of the low, low, but it also like put me on autopilot, right? Like that's all I remember from it. And I just yeah. felt just like blah every day. I just didn't really have any emotion. And yeah. like, you can't, you can't take the emotion out of Brit or like, what? Right. <laughs> like I'm not even a person anymore. So, um, but that's all I know. But like from, um, certain people in my life right now that are, are kind of going through that, I've just heard that they've tried, you know, different one after different one. You've got to like let it in there for a few weeks and or a month and see if it kicks in. And so is that, did he kind of go through that process of like having to try all these different things and. Yeah. So this is what's hard about that though. And 
I feel like education for doctors in this area, just regular like family practice doctors is very low because you have to understand like these medications are messing with chemicals and receptors like in your brain. And that is not just going to change in a week or two week period. It, it can't change that fast. So when you get put on an antidepressant, um, he tried it for two weeks and told her like, I don't think I like this. And she's like, okay, let's try something else. Now I know I'm like, dude, like you have to try it for at least a couple of months to see like if the, the chemical change that this medication is doing to you is working for you or not. And the, the cool thing about all these different medications is they really do pinpoint different receptors and different chemicals. So where one might not work for you, it totally might work for me. Mm-hmm. And it is different for everybody because they can't look at you and be like, oh, you're sad right now. Um, okay, I know exactly what medication you need for the type of sadness you have. It's not like that. It really is a trial and error. But what's hard are these doctors are doing these trial and errors it's so fast. I mean, he went through like four to five medications in like a three-month period. That is not Gosh. near enough time to even know if any of those would work. So that's what's really hard. And what I feel like if we could bring awareness to people to, to say, hey, like, give these a fair shot first off. And two, don't go see your family doctor for, th- for something like that. You know, you may start with them and say, hey, can you recommend a therapist or a psychiatrist or something? But don't see a family doctor for something that you feel like is really like you wouldn't go see a family doctor, you know, for a broken back. Like, no, like there's a specialist for that. You know what I mean? It's the same type of thing. So, so yeah. So then he, okay. So sorry, I got us off on a tangent. So then no, you're okay. He, um, so he tried all these different things. He tried a couple other ones and it was so weird. Like he would have weird side effects from all of them that he didn't realize that he could work through. He just thought that's just what it was going to do. Um, one of them made him yawn so often that he like would yawn and gag. Like, oh my gosh, that's crazy! Almost make him puke. I remember him telling me that. I'm like, you're you're crazy. But then he'd come home and it was like yawn after yawn after yawn, and he'd be like, oh. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Okay, so let's maybe not do this one. But like I said, every medication has a different you know reaction for everybody, but all these medications have horrible side effects. Like if you're watching TV, it's like talking about this new medication. 80% of the freaking commercials them talking about the side effects. Oh yeah. May cause, may cause like that's awful. So, um, she finally said, so I didn't want to start you on this right away, but there's a medication called Clodopin and we think it would be, I think it'd be great for you. Turns out it's, you know, it, I, she said, she thinks it's a sleep issue um, that he's having anxiety and depression because he's not getting enough sleep, which he wasn't because we had a baby, but I mean, nothing that he needed medication for. Like he didn't need yeah. Ambien to sleep. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He could still fall asleep. Fine. I mean, all he had to do was listen to me talk for five minutes and he'd be out cold. So <laughs> it was just staying asleep because of the baby. So she put him on Klodopin because of sleep. And again, 
I didn't know anything about medications. I went into this thinking, oh, it's a doctor. We can trust her. Like she says, Clodopin's what's going to be best. That's what's going to be best. I didn't even think, literally, I didn't even think to do any kind of research or get a second opinion or a third opinion. I just thought, oh, okay, let's try it. And so he did. And within like days, I was like, oh my gosh, like my husband's back. Like I felt like, I felt like it changed him in a matter of like a couple of days. And so I became like dependent on that medication for him, for our relationship. Like I thought that our relationship couldn't be normal without this medication. So that was really like, if he was having a hard day or something, I'd be like, did you take your medication today? And he'd be like, oh yeah, I took it. Or, oh no, I haven't taken it yet. And so I kind of helped him stay on track with that. Um, turns out there's a, and I'm going to send you guys a link so that you can send it to people if you'd like, but it's a life with Lisa Ling. I don't know if you've ever watched that. Um, I think it's like CBS news or something like that. CNN, sorry, not CBS. That's a crap news, right? CNN. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to this like behind the scenes. She goes and like talks. She has really cool subjects. Okay. So she did benzos. That was her subject. And went and talked to a bunch of people who have been on it, who um, successfully got off of it and to families who people did not successfully get off of it. And when she told the cameras that the amount of time that you are allowed, like your brain allows you to be on this medication without becoming physically and mentally dependent on it is six weeks max, like very max six weeks. And when she said that, I was like, Curtis has been on this for seven and a half years. And I was like, wait a minute. So that's when we started looking into everything. So, but back then I had no idea. I had no idea. So for seven and a half years, things had been relatively fine on the benzos? No, no. Okay. (laughs) But again, I didn't know. I had no idea that any, uh, the issues he was having throughout the years um, were because he was mixing these with alcohol. Or, okay. or um, he would stop taking them abruptly and it would cause extreme depression. And so then I'd be like, oh my gosh, you got to get back on your medication. Because I, I literally thought that he had to have that mm-hmm. in order to like live a functioning life. And he would talk to me a couple of times like, I think I want to get off this medication. I don't like being dependent on something. And I'm like, Curtis, oh, stop it. I'm like, I have to take an allergy pill. It's the same thing. Like my mom had thyroid cancer and now she has to take thyroid medication. It's the same thing. Just like you have to have this medication to be okay. So in the beginning, you started to do have to have an antidepressant or something to, you know, or their certain medication to keep their chemical balances (laughs) online. So there are some people that need that. Yeah, there are for sure. And what I think is a really important thing to do, though, like, again, now that I've been through what I've been through, I'm not a doctor. I'm not recommending anything. uh, You know what I mean? But 
I feel like it's really important to talk to a specialist because a specialist can tell you, yes, like, like for instance, bipolar, like you need, you need to be medicated for bipolar. Right. Um, and then there's things like anxiety or depression that you don't need to be on an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant forever. Forever. Yeah. The, like something that, um, his therapist stress is the mix of therapy with antidepressants in the beginning is a foolproof plan. Like you cannot go wrong with that. And then through therapy, learning coping mechanisms, realizing that things aren't your fault and literally talking your way through it, you're slowly able to get off of the other medications to feel like you can handle it, kind of easing your way back into life, you know? So Okay, Danny. So I want to kind of talk about some of this in betweens. Um, so before you know, we we started this episode. Um, we kind of had a little outline of some things that you shared with Wit and I, and I'm just going through that right now. And so I wanna I wanna kind of skip back. And you had said that in the beginning, right, um, that you guys kind of basically worshipped this pill. And so I want to yes. know. For him, what were the big changes you saw in your husband? What things was he doing that was different? Was he just happy again? Was he, because you said, I have my husband back. What were those things that changed for you that kind of created you to then become dependent on this pill helping your relationship? So it literally like, it made him, I know when people say like, you can't change in two weeks, right? Like change takes a while, right? And it takes hard work. But he literally just changed in a matter of a couple of days. And so at that point, I was like, oh, this play, this pill is, you know, helping the chemical imbalance. Again, I didn't know anything about how it worked. I didn't even know if the pill was good or bad. I didn't even think, think that there was a bad pill. I didn't know about any of that. So. I was dependent on it because I saw him smiling again. I saw him laughing again. I saw him wanting to be involved with family again. I saw him finding joys in life again. And that was huge for me because he would literally come home. He would sit on the couch for a few minutes, look at his phone, go into the, you know, into the bedroom, shower, sit on his phone. And I'd be sitting at the dinner table, like with his favorite dinner on the table, like waiting for him. And he'd come in and be like, I'm not hungry. I'm like, Mm. wait what (laughs) so he had no joy in life it was work eat go to bed so you saw this and you're like okay my husband is back and Mm -hmm. there probably did become the anxiety for you especially over months in the first year whatever to where like you said if he didn't take it one day you're probably like okay did you take your pill did you take your medicine like because did you ever feel like as a wife, you were kind of feeling panicked of like, oh my gosh, this can't come back. Like we can't have, you, oh, you, you know, absolutely. It's like, well, now I know because of the therapy that we've been through, it's, it's PTSD. Like I, I went through something traumatic yeah. and so I keep thinking that, you know, if some, if a certain thing happens, like for instance, um, if the kids are being crazy today and they, he comes home from work and they're just freaking bouncing off the walls, I know that's going to trigger him. And so then I'm like, okay, kids, kids, calm down, calm down. And then he's like, what are you doing? Now he's like, what are you doing? Like, they're fine. But then he'd be like, oh my gosh, like, guys, calm down. 
Danny, what the heck? You know what I mean? And so I, yeah. I was so afraid of that coming back, especially as our family grew. Like I didn't want to let our kids see him like that again. Cause I worked so hard with him to get him out of that funk. So yeah, yeah I was, I was terrified of all of that coming back. Totally terrified. And it got to the point where when he was okay, I wasn't. And he would wonder why I was acting weird when to me, it wasn't weird. That was my, in a way, my defense mechanism, you know, it was my wall that I built up over the years. Um, because I didn't want him to react in a, in an awful way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think just even being, like I said before, different addictions, but being a wife in a relationship, marriage, whatever, where you have addiction involved, you do, you become hypersensitive from the PTSD to everything. And you're almost like waiting for something to go wrong. Are you almost kind of start to live this lifestyle of like, I'm just waiting for the next thing or I'm waiting for yeah. it to go bad again. Or I'm, it's, yeah, like, it's like, you just, shows. you, yeah, you yes. just, I don't even know how to articulate that correctly. You just become hyper aware of like everything around you and things that could trigger them or things that could, you know, and you almost take that on yourself that you need to make sure that, that this individual is not being triggered by anything. And so, well, I, this is like, I can't even stress that enough. I, I knew when he would come home, like he would come home about the same time every single day, kind of had like a, well, I don't want to say nine to five, but you know, a very scheduled job. Yeah. And so he, we lived about 10 minutes away from his work. And so I knew when he would leave work, I'd have 10 minutes to prep and I would prep. I would, he liked, it made him, it was like something that he, he's got some OCD. So it was something that like made him happy to see the lines in the carpet after you vacuum. So I would quickly, I wouldn't even freaking vacuum. Okay. I would just hurry and run the vacuum <laughs> over to show the lines and just leave it like that. Hurry and get the house clean. Hurry and make sure I look okay. Make sure my kid looks okay. And like, we were just like freaking like Van Dyke family waiting at the door for him to walk in. And it was, it was a show. It was a production to make sure that nothing was triggered. And I didn't realize that that was wrong until, you know, years later when I'm like exhausted, actually till I started working full time. And I got to the point where I couldn't do that anymore. Like I physically, I was so tired from working full time and then coming home and cleaning and I couldn't do it anymore. And that's when I knew I'm like, okay, yeah, that was clearly the most unhealthy thing I could ever do for myself. Like I didn't, for me, like, and I think everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but I think most women would be like this. You're afraid to stand up for yourself because you don't want them to leave. You know, you feel like you have to just make it okay. And I found myself doing what his parents did, what he grew up with, what he was comfortable with, which I knew was wrong to have him stay with me and to just, I knew if whatever, if it's under the rug, at least we're not fighting about it. At least he's not leaving me. It may not be fixed, but at least it's hidden and hopefully it stays hidden forever. And, and obviously that can't last. Yeah. Oh, I love that you said that because I think that is something that like we as women do not admit 
no matter what you're in or what situation you're in or what addiction you might deal with or what issues you have in your relationship, so many of us in those moments, like you said, just do what we have to do because you're so afraid you don't want them to leave you. And, and I, and I, and I just remember those feelings like being so strong, right? Even have people say to me, what, you know, you deserve way better than this. Like, you know, you deserve way more than that. Like, why do you want to stay? Cause I was always afraid that they were going to leave me. He's going to leave me. He's going to leave yeah. me. And I remember having friends and like family and be like, why, like you should be leaving. Like, why yeah. are you afraid of this? But anyway, it was the same thing. Like you just are always like, do I look okay? I want to just do all the things. So thank you. Thank you for saying that out loud for women out there that might be going through that right now and do not know that that isn't right or normal or okay. Or, you know, or even just if you need to know you're not alone in that and that there's been us, you know, out here that have gone through it. So thank you for saying that. Well, and I think too, like, at least for me at that time, I didn't know. Well, I'm sure a part of me knew, but I didn't want to admit that it was wrong. And so I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, I literally course. didn't tell anybody. And everyone thought that we just had this perfect relationship and whatever. And I'm like, literally like dying behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when I remember the first time I voiced it to a friend and she was just in tears and she was like, Danny, like, what are you doing? Like you, this is not healthy. You need to leave. Like you need to leave. But I was like, no, like, it's okay. Like, it's not that bad. Like I, I constantly made excuses. And then finally when I broke, then I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I should have listened to the advice of the people who knew what was going on and the people who love me and that were trying to help me. They didn't, they didn't want to hurt Curtis, but they knew that what we were both going through was not healthy. And I don't know, like, I don't want to say that if I would have left a long time ago, things would have been different because I truly feel like we're supposed to be together and we are, and we have a great marriage now. We're happy. But I almost feel like if I would have left, even just temporarily, maybe that would have jump-started him to make some changes, you know? Yeah. But again, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I also feel like that could have caused things to get worse. So, so in, in this moment now, is he feeling good? Does he feel like, okay, I'm feeling good. I feel different being on this medication. Was he feeling those? So he's not on the medication anymore. No, no, no. But back then when he oh, first back then, back it. then. Yep. Um, yeah, he saw a difference and it, it was a big thing for him, but I think that first off, I think it was hard for him to remember, especially when things were good and things were normal. Like he didn't like, you know, you have a headache, you feel, Oh, I need to take some ibuprofen, but he was feeling good. So nothing triggered him to think, Oh, I need to take my clodopin. Mm, right. And so okay. sometimes he'd forget it. He was awful at taking it consistently. Um after, you know, after it was working for a while. So Okay. So um, in here too, you have that um there was a move that took place and then uh how it, mental health kind of took a turn for the worse in a matter yes. of weeks. Is that is that in the timeline of right now? Or so we sold our house 
And we moved in with my aunt for a few months um, while we were trying to decide where we wanted to live. And things weren't great, but they weren't awful. Like we, we didn't know if we were going to stay married or not. We had, you know, really contemplated divorce because things just were getting, we just weren't getting along. Mm-hmm. But um, but was hold on. So was this in the time period of him being on the medication? So yes. How long yeah. he, he may be on this the medication, and so things started off really good, and you guys both mm-hmm. kind of became dependent on this medication for different reasons, whatever. And then where are you kind of in the storyline of now? Yeah, so gonna, he was. It, sorry, did it feel like it started to wear off, like it wasn't working anymore, or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it got to the point where. So he had been on it for, let's see, he got on it when our daughter was a few months old. And then, so probably like three years, okay? okay. And at that point, things started to just get spotty. And sometimes he'd be great. Sometimes he would not. Sometimes I felt like it was causing him more anxiety, but I chalked it up to being the fact that he wasn't taking it consistently. Like, he would sometimes miss a couple days and then go back on it. And so that, that was kind of like my excuse was, oh, it's because he wasn't taking it super consistent. And so when we moved, we moved out to Santa Quinn and we bought this beautiful home. We were super excited. And at that point, we had decided we were going to stay married. We were going to try and work it out. And so we bought the house, moved in. And within a few weeks, I saw like a completely different person, like worse than when he first started neglecting and pushing me away. I didn't know, I didn't know who this guy was. He was really, really angry. Um, and not just distant, like he would just flat out ignore me for weeks at a time. I, I, we would, we would go days without even saying like two words to each other. And I was super confused, but I, I will tell you this, and it's one of my biggest regrets. I didn't want to fight, and I didn't want to feel how I felt, you know, a few years back. And so I just didn't say anything. I just let him do him, and I did me, and I knew that we were on the verge of divorce. I knew it was going to happen, but I didn't want to fight over it. And so I just didn't, and I didn't say anything. And I can tell you now that distancing like that and ignoring and being completely and utterly checked out like that is the biggest sign of suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when our whole life really changed. It was that time. Our son was having major medical issues the stress of that on top of this new house that was a lot more money and everything just went south. We, I mean, this is a whole other story, but we kind of feel like we didn't blend with Santa Quinn. (laughs) I think it was where we were at, the house we were in, the circumstances we were in, the situations that we were living through. And he just, he really did go over the edge on that. And it, it, it took a really bad turn and he ended up trying to commit suicide. And this was unreal. I, the day he told me was 
probably like one of the hardest things I've ever heard in my entire life that, you know, you can't unhear that. And hearing that I felt instant shame that, that I, I just let this happen. Like I saw the signs, I knew that he wasn't okay. And I just ignored it because I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel bad. I didn't want to hurt. So I just let him hurt on his own. And as a wife, I felt like I wasn't a wife at that point. I felt very shameful for that. And I, I literally, I told him and I told myself, I'm dedicating myself to you. Like I'm, I'm going to get you through this. Like I will, I will never let this happen again. And we did, we just, we worked our butts off and we moved. We hated where we lived. So we moved. Danny, do you mind me asking? So for him to kind of get to that low of all lows, was he on the medication or no? Because you had mentioned no, so he cold turkey stop it. Yes, and he so with everything that was going on. Sorry, I totally forgot to say that. Um, with everything that was going on, he kind of just stopped taking it. He took it upon himself to just he just decided he was just not going to take it anymore. And now medically, because we don't know anything like you, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm Advil, and you know I'm (laughs) girl. Is that like if you cold turkey just stop a medication that, that that is that strong, is that kind of what plummets you into that emotional yes. place? Okay. So, and again, I didn't know that then either. So I didn't understand why he was feeling that way and how that even made it worse. But now we've learned that these medications, benzodiazepines, changed the way that your brain works. It literally, it, it, forever changes that just like if you were on any other drug Mm -hmm. and so his brain was completely dependent just like you need air to function his body needed clodopin to function and so when he stopped taking it he mentally and emotionally quit functioning plummeted i mean his body was he was going to work he was going through the motions. His body was going through the motions, but he was not there. Like he was checked out completely. And it was because he had quit taking the medication. And it was probably a week and a half to two weeks of just not taking it. And maybe one or two here and there, but not, not how he was supposed to be taking it. And so do you mind us asking, was this, uh, just talk of it did he actually attempt anything um, no he have to go he into that if you don't want to no you're okay no that's fine mm-hmm. so he um i was working and he came home and said i'm done he left his ring on the table and he packed his bags and he left and i fe- i i fell to the floor like in tears not i, I knew that it was coming but I didn't know what was going on. He couldn't give me any answers as to why. And I knew like I was literally doing everything that I could, you know? And so it confused me beyond words. And so I was heartbroken and, you know, my, my biggest thing was at that time I was not, I couldn't even like take care of myself. 
my kids, my son was, he had just turned two and was going and getting tissues and like wiping my face. And they were trying to mm-hmm. pull me up and say, mommy, you're okay. It's okay. We're still here, mommy. And I just, he had told them when he left, daddy's going on a work trip. And so they didn't understand why I was so sad. They said, he's going to come home. And I was like, no, he's not. And I couldn't, I couldn't find the heart to tell them that first off. And I couldn't, I, I, I literally couldn't pick myself up off the floor. And my parents came, they helped me. And then we had some good friends that kind of took the shift because I literally, I like lost myself. I, I look back now, I like, I, I was, I had hit my lowest of the low, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so he randomly, he was like the next night had texted me and said, we need to talk. I don't want to leave you with, you know, all the debt and all that. Like we need to talk. And so, um, said, can you meet up? And so I was like, uh, yeah. So I, I drove to where he was at. We were parked like by a field in Payson or something like right off the freeway. And he wouldn't talk to me. I'm like, you wanted to talk, but you're not talking. And, um, so I just kind of went off. I'm like, what is going on? Like, you cannot just leave and not give me any explanation and just let you can't at least tell me why so that I can feel like I didn't just butcher this. Like, uh, help me out here. And yeah. he broke down and I've only seen my husband cry a handful of times. Um, and it's only been when somebody's passed away. And seeing him break down like that, I knew that things were serious. And I, I didn't expect to hear what he was going to tell me. But he grabbed my hand and he put a bullet in my hand. And he said, this was in my gun. And I pulled the trigger. He said, but a safety was on. Oh, my God. And I, like, I freaked. I freaked. I like jumped on him and just grabbed him and just hugged him and sobbed. And I kept yelling, no. And I grabbed the bullet out of his hand and chucked it out the window. And I told him, you, you're coming home. Like, you are coming home. I can't, I cannot leave you in a state of mind like this. I, I no. I told him I'm dedicating myself to you. Like I'm going to make sure that you don't ever get to this point again. And he came home and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. I mean, if he would even get up to pee in the middle of the night, I was like, where is he? Where is he? Like, are you okay? And I'd like run in the bathroom and make sure he was okay. And if he was even five minutes late from work, I was panicking and like driving to his work to make sure that he was okay. And, and so I ended up driving myself psychotically crazy. And so I ended up calling a, um, a helpline, like a suicide prevention line. And I'm like, I'm not suicidal. I said, but I know someone who is. And I need advice on how to handle it and how to talk to him. Because I felt like, like Whitney, when you said walking on eggshells, I was walking on eggshells, but in a different way than I was before. I didn't know mm-hmm. how to help him. I didn't, I felt like I had to talk to him in a different way. 
and do things completely different to make sure that he didn't ever feel that way again because obviously what I was doing wasn't enough to get him out of that. And so And again again it's something that you took on yourself. Yes. Yep. Girl, and you I took on a ton of stuff. I know. I well he asked me not to tell anybody because he was embarrassed. Um yeah. And at that time, so when he came home, our friends were there. They were watching our kids. And so I told them, not in any detail, I'm like, he's having suicidal thoughts and this mm-hmm. is kind of what's going on. And so they knew and they were there for us a little bit, but they were also going through their, their own personal things too. Um, but I, I couldn't find, you know, a way to justify telling somebody what he had just tried to do because I felt like that was such a huge event in his life that if he wanted to tell someone he needed to tell him, mm-hmm. which I do think is valid. Like I don't want to, I, I, sh- I agree. I shouldn't have went around telling everybody, Hey, my husband tried, you know, I, that right. obviously is not appropriate, but I, I look back now and think like, I wish that I would have asked for help from the people who loved him and me most. So that I didn't have to do it by myself because I was dealing with him, making sure he was okay. And our son had just got diagnosed with epilepsy and was having major health issues and had multiple stays in the hospital. And we were dealing with that and moving at the same time. We up and moved back to Orem and I did it all by myself. I had to do it all by myself. And he was there like when my son was sick, he was there. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I was holding all those emotions by myself. And I, it was really hard for me to take care of me at all. And yeah. I didn't. I neglected myself completely because my, I, my number one worry was, first off, my son not having another seizure. And second, my husband not going back to that deep, dark place that he was in before. Oh my gosh, girl, my heart's just like going out to you because as women, that's what we do. We put ourselves last and we take care of everybody first, right? As caregivers, yeah. nurturers, mothers, women, wives, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and just, I think hearing your story, it's like, girl, how? Like there was so much on you at this point, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Danny, I want to, I, I, first of all, I don't know how to even express like our gratitude for you sharing that very, very difficult personal um, story between you and your husband of that night because that's not an easy thing to relive, rethink, uh, talk about ever. Um, Whit and I both have stories in our personal lives of people very close to us um, and suicide. And so we take that very serious. And so thank you for sharing that because I do think that there are a lot of people out there that, you know, um, uh, I don't know, that that don't have that outcome, you know, uh, of that person being okay. And I think that is just such a blessing that, you know, you... uh, had that moment to hold on to him and just live in that. No, no, you know, like I've got you, I've got you. Right. Because it was so raw. It was so raw. Yeah. Literally within, you know, 10 minutes of me being there. And I, for me, like instantly, well, first off, I'm not shy about my life. I'm very open about 
things that I've been through. Well, now I wasn't then because I was scared, but yeah. Um, I, I don't want anybody, first off, I don't want anybody to feel the pain he felt sitting in that truck by himself with the gun in his mouth. And two, I don't want any wife or significant other spouse or partner, whatever, to feel like they have to hold that weight on their own because to say that I felt like his life was in my hands is an understatement. Like I felt like almost like I was giving him CPR. Like he was, his life was in my hands. And that's, that is a heavy, heavy load to bear. And nobody should have to go through that by themselves. And honestly, I don't think anybody can physically or emotionally go through that on their own successfully. And it wasn't until I finally reached out for help and we moved closer to family and I was able to receive help that he got the, you know, the help that he needed and I got the help that I needed and my kids were okay and everything started to become okay again. So I feel like it's so important to ask for help. You guys, we are not done here. We're, we're going to have Danny back on for a two part series because let us tell you her story is not over. (laughs) Not over. Yes. We, we like to keep our episodes to about an hour um, or under. And so we, we're going to break this into a two part and please like come back with us next time. Danny's story is not even close to being over. There is so much more um, to this. And uh, yeah, I think Danny, any, anything else you want to say up to this point, we're going to get into that. Like you said, you moved closer. um, Things got better for a little bit and then things take a turn again. We're going to get there. We're going to touch on all of it and kind of see where your journey continues on to anything up to this point at the end of this part one that you want to say to any listeners out there? Um, I want to say first off that it's okay. Like everybody has struggles. Everybody goes through something major in their life and it's okay to feel. I want you to know that your feelings are valid and that it's healthy to feel those feelings. And but it's also very important to make sure that you're getting the right help that you need or the right care that you need, whether it's from yourself or from a professional. Um, but reaching out for help, is n- there's no shame in that. And if anything, me personally, I think 95% of the world thinks that you're strong for asking for help yeah, and that it's absolutely. super important. And I think if you were to ask anybody for help in a situation like this that I think anybody would jump to help. Thank you so much, Danny. Uh, part two, you guys coming at you next week. And, and I, I just really, my, my hat is off to you, girl. You've been through so much and, and we're not even done yet. So <laughs> uh, until next time, you guys, let's keep it real. Part two is coming at you next.